If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me too. We're going to do, um, uh, there'll be three uh, references this morning. I'll give you a couple of them now. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, 24. Uh, find that and just hold that place. John 9, 1 to 3, we'll run those two together. And then later on, we're going to come to James 5, 14 through 18, a scripture that Robert touched on uh, last, uh, last Sunday. Uh, he was doing part three of a four-part mini-series we're doing on prayer, so I'm going to land this series this morning. And you know, church, I hope, actually, actually because it's on prayer, um, I pray that you too will agree that according to God's word, and we heard this a few weeks ago, according to his word, he hears every prayer. Do you remember that point? Every prayer prayed, God hears. And prayer that is expressed consistently and faithfully, I want to say to you this morning, makes all the difference. Prayer that is expressed consistently and faithfully, it makes all the difference. We see this in the life and the example of Jesus himself. He saw that prayer was vital in his connection, his communication with his Father and the ministry that he did on earth. It was absolutely crucial to him, which is why in Luke 18, 1, it says this, Jesus told his disciples that they should, listen to this, always pray and not give up. Always pray and not lose heart. Another version, I think the King James says, always pray and not faint. Let me quote the great Anglican evangelist John Wesley. He says this, God does nothing except in response to not just prayer, but believing prayer. When we're praying for people, which we will do at the end of the service, maybe even during it, if we're going to pray for someone, can I encourage you, believe what it is you're praying for. In your spirit, believe what it is you're asking God for. Absolutely believe it. What's the point of praying for it if you don't believe it? Just believe it. And the rest is up to God. The rest is up to Him. That's why Wesley said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. As for the disciples, that's true for us too. It's exactly the same for us. When they saw Jesus in his ministry, in the time they spent with him on earth, they walked with him, they, were, they ate with him, they, they slept in the same kind of rooms together so they knew him intimately. They saw him pray, they saw him spend lots of time praying privately and, and, and corporately with them, which is why I suspect they saw that he had something that they wanted and that they needed, which is why they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Prayer is a really big deal, church, and it explains why the Bible references prayer 375 times. So do you think God is wanting to get a message across to us? Yes? Yes? He absolutely is. So before we go into Matthew 4, 
There are a number of options as to what prayer actually is. Over the years, being a Christian for a wee while now, I've heard various people say prayer is this or prayer is that or whatever that happens to be to them. But it's especially true. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting? Especially as a young Christian, I remember this. We go into a prayer meeting. I kind of just come to faith, fresh and all the rest of it. And, and you want everything that God's got, Denise, everything. And you're kind of um, blue-eyed and bushy-tailed, so to speak. And you go to a prayer meeting and people start praying and you hear these these giants of faith using these words that just express in some beautiful terms and terminology. And I'm thinking, man, I can't pray like that. So you don't say anything. Ever been in that situation? Can I tell you, do not fall for that. That's exactly where the enemy would want you, Leanna sitting there, standing there, or hiding in the corner thinking, oh man, I can't pray like that, so I'm not going to say anything. That's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. Don't fall for that. If God's put something on your heart, it really doesn't matter how it comes out as long as it's, it's intelligible. It's intelligent. Intelligible, is that the right word? Yes, as long as you can understand it. As long as we can understand it, can I encourage you this morning? Bring it out. Speak it out. Don't hide it. Don't put your light under a bush. So what is prayer? You know, simply put, church, prayer is just this. It's having a conversation with God. That's it. It's you and God having a conversation. It's applying what Robert's message last Sunday essentially said, just start talking to Jesus. That's it. Just talk to him. There's no right or wrong way to pray. The important thing to remember is not how you pray, church. The important thing to remember is that you pray. Because I believe, and I've experienced this in my walk with God in my life, for every dilemma that we face, God has a divine solution. So take the time to talk to him about it. You know, to paraphrase what Jesus told the disciples in Luke 18.1, and this is a paraphrase. Instead of becoming overwhelmed by the situation or the issue, he said to them, why don't you just pray? That's what he told the disciples, and that's what he's saying to us this morning. Can any of you identify with this scenario? Let me paint a picture. You're sailing along on the sea of life. No problems whatsoever. And suddenly, without warning, a storm blows up, metaphorically speaking now. A storm blows up in your life. Your little boat begins to take on water and you think to yourself, well, it can't get any worse than this. But it does. The gusts blow harder. The waves grow higher and your boat gets more and more swamped. Now, you know, church, there are many situations for all of us. They come at us unexpectedly. Have you ever had that experience? You're just sailing along and all of a sudden you think everything is going really well and bang, something comes at you. Have you experienced that? Well, let me give you some depressing news. You'll probably experience it again. Because we live in a world that kind of tends toward that kind of thing. But we also live in a world, there is an enemy that is out there to take us out. Also, don't fall for that. 
Stay the course. If you don't know what to do, if you don't have a solution, go and ask God. Go speak to him and see what God does. There are many situations that come at us that we would call, or I would call, the storms of life. So what should you do? Well, you can give up and abandon ship. And some people do. But Jesus had a better idea. The first thing that we should do, Jesus said, before doing anything else is pray. In other words, we're not helpless victims, church. We have an option. We have a choice. We can either give up or we can take, or we can take the issue to God in prayer. That's what he encouraged his disciples to do in Matthew 18. And I'm sharing that with you this morning again and encouraging you this morning Exactly the same. Do exactly the same. Take it to God in prayer. Alrighty, let's just go back a little bit. Three weeks ago, Anna launched this mini-series on prayer. She shared from 1 Samuel the story of Hannah. Um, Hannah had prayed earnestly, begging God for a breakthrough in her family situation. Um, she wasn't able to conceive, and that created a whole lot of issues for her, and she was being um, um, ridiculed by the other woman in the house, and it was overwhelming her. This went on for some years. But in God's time, and according, listen to this, to Hannah's consistent, heartfelt prayer, she never gave up. She did not lose heart. She consistently took it before God. And at some point in God's time, in God's timing, according to his word and his will, she got a breakthrough. Do you remember our Anna sharing that with us? And then last week, the theme of Robert's message was essentially start talking to Jesus. And Robert shared how he, and by the way, anyone else that he could coerce around him to pray for his dad's salvation. And at some point, how many years did that take, Rob? About three years later, consistent, faithful prayer. Robert shared last week that he would go down the front for prayer, um, not for himself so much, but so that he could grab other people around him up the front and say, pray for my dad. And about three years later, his dad came to faith. And you don't know this, most of you, but I, I worked for his father for some years, and he was a, he's a good, good man. I have to say that, Robert, in front of you and Tony, but he was a good man, but he was a hard-living guy. He was ex-army, he'd served in Vietnam, and goodness knows what, what sort of action he saw over there, um, and he, but he was a solid, down-to-earth, trustworthy, his word was his bond, he was a great guy, but he did not want to know Jesus until these guys and a whole bunch of other people had prayed for three years. Wasn't it true, Robert, I think this is true, if you don't mind me sharing this, didn't he just walk into one meeting one night and give his heart to the Lord? Is that how it happened? Yeah, they prophesied. They prophesied, did they? And he responded to that. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so all of that, here's the point. Hannah, when Anna talked about Hannah in 1 Samuel, consistent, fervent prayer, God responded in his time. 
Robert's dad's situation, it took about three years, but they were praying. It was fervent. It was consistent. It was faithful, and God responded in his time. And this morning, I want to take those same principles and conclude this series by looking at prayer and its influence as it relates to healing. Everyone go, whoa. Whoa, that's a pretty pathetic whoa. As it relates to healing. If there is one issue, I've been a Christian now for a few years, if there's one issue that I find to be a mystery, it's this one. Healing or prayer and healing. Anyone with me? Mm. I find it to be a mystery. I could tell you lots of stories and I'm sure that you could too. So that's what I want to conclude this series on, on specifically talking about um, the mystery of healing. So for the purposes of this message, when people come up and ask for healing, generally and usually their request will fall into one of two main categories. Either it'll be they're praying for physical healing, yeah? Or... Um, so that's sickness and diseases and that kind of thing, if you like. The other consistent one is, if it's not physical, it's an inner healing kind of situation. Um, emotional, relational, and spiritual. And by the way, it is not unusual for physical healing and inner healing to be connected in some way. Would you agree with that, Heather? Yep. It's not unusual for that to be... It's not always the case... But it's not unusual that I, I'll share, I'll come to it in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting excited. This press, I love it. So that's to say, this, this connection between um, something going on internally, manifesting in a physical way, um, there are some physical sicknesses that are the result of an emotional, a relational, or a spiritual issue, and that's medically proved. I remember um, as a new Christian back in the day, um, who remembers the name Derek Prince? Some of you older folk. Derek Prince, tremendous um, guy, ministry um, all over the world, um, wrote many, many books. I remember one of the books of his I was reading on, on healing specifically, because this was always a big deal for me. It still is. And um, he was sharing the story of this lady who had come to one of, um, one of the, his healing meetings. And um, Heather, you would know, you're, you're a doctor. You'd know this better than Simon. You, you're these doctors in the room. But this is how I understand it. So don't shoot me down in flames. She had um, her torso, this part of her body, had physically hardened. I mean, physically hardened to the point where the doctor could, could kind of knock on it like knocking on a door. The whole torso had gone hard. And she was an older lady, and she'd come to one of these healing meetings that Derek Prince was putting on. She came up for prayer to him, and he discerned that her physical malady that she had, is that how you pronounce it, mal mal malady? Yep, malady. This physical situation that she had had nothing to do with anything physical in that sense. And he said to her, God gave him a revelation, a word of knowledge for her, and he said to her something along the lines, 
you have got a relational problem with someone close to you, you need to go and put it right. She did. She came back the next day, because these were healing meetings, plural. She came back the next day, and her whole torso had gone back to being just normal. Just normal. Can you see the connection? Now, I'm assuming that Derek Prince was telling the truth. That's what I read, and that's what I share with you this morning. What had been hardened externally was the result of a hardened heart emotionally. And it had manifested itself physically. So she dealt with that, and boom, it was gone. Isn't that incredible? And I'm sure some of you could, uh, I know of similar stories. Okay, the first thing I want to talk about when it comes to healing is physical healing. This is Matthew 4, 23 to 24. Should come up on the screen. There it is. So this is, we're talking now physical healing. Specifically, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing, listen to this, every disease and sickness. Someone say amen. amen. Every disease and sickness. Among the people, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And actually, one version says he healed them all. I want to make a distinction here. Notice, it says there, those suffering from severe pain, stop. The demon possessed, stop. If you are suffering severe pain, does not mean you're demon possessed. They're two separate things. Hello? They're not one, they, they can be, but not here. That's a separate category. Those having seizures, people that have seizures, doesn't mean that you've got a demon. Are you getting this, church? It's a physical something going on that you need some medication for, probably. Go and see Heather, she's a doctor. Simon, go see them. That's what might need happening. But could it be a demonic thing in some sense? It could be. It could be. Paralyzed and he healed them all. We're talking physical now. Apart from uh, Denise's testimony that she shared uh, last week, and I'm assuming you're still okay. Your back's good. Isn't that wonderful news? How many of you have experienced a physical healing that you can confidently say was the result of prayer? Please put your hand up. Confidently say it was the result of, wow, look around. Wow. You can put your hand out. That is absolutely fabulous. Um, I, re I recall, I recall um, many years ago when I was doing my um, officer training for the military, I was down here in Christchurch. Uh, Christine was still up in Auckland. No, you had moved to Wellington, that's right. Joseph had just been born, excuse me, so she shot down to Wellington to stay with her parents, and I was on this three-month um, officer's training course. They were teaching us how to... How to eat properly at the officer's mess and all that kind of stuff. You'd, Alan, you'd understand it all. Anyway, it's a three-month course, and part of the course was um, we had to be, physically, our physical fitness had to be at a, at a pretty high standard, as it should be. Um, and I was, I was a guy that had been, prior to all of that, I'd, I'd, I was into biathlons and played rugby and a pretty high level and all that kind of stuff, and I'd had an injured left hip. 
really, really, and I was doing, I was doing 20, 30 Ks on a Saturday running just for a training, and then I had this problem with this hip, and I, doctors couldn't figure it all out. Anyway, what would happen was I would go running, and about four or five kilometers into a run, this thing would start to flare up. And after about two or three Ks, that was it. I could not run anymore. It was so painful. So I was going on this officer's select, uh, training course. I'd already been selected. Gone on this training course. And the last thing I wanted to do, Leanna, was fail the course. But if I didn't get through this part, that was failure. Never mind if you got everything else right. And so we had to go on these runs. And we did these short runs um, pretty much every morning before we went to work for the day. And they were usually about 3Ks, 4Ks, and I could manage to do that okay. It was still sore, but I could manage it. Well, right at the very end, we had a 15K run to do. Now, for some of you that run a lot, you probably think, oh, well, that's a piece of cake. For others of you, I'm looking around, you probably think, ooh, that's a lot. Anyway, it was a 15K run. And, and I'm a Christian now. Well, now, and then... And I remember praying to the Lord, I said, God, I physically cannot do this. I know what's going to happen. This is the night before. Donna, the night before. I want to pass this course. The only way I'm going to get through this is if you do a miracle. And that miracle, Lord, is you get me through this run. That was the prayer. Simple. I don't even think I got on my hands and knees. I just prayed. Next day, uh, we started, started the run, and I, I got to about 5Ks, and oh, that's good. No pain whatsoever. Got to 10, still no pain, no difficulty whatsoever. I knew I only had five clicks to go, and um, I was about halfway in, with the crowds halfway there. I wasn't at the back or in the front, just at my normal pace. Got to about kilometer 12, ran about 12, and all of a sudden this starts coming back again. But I kept going because I knew I only had three Ks to go and I pretty much I could manage that. Well, I did. I finished the run in pretty good time and, and the rest is history. Here's my point. I asked God specifically to heal that, that hip to get me through this run. And he did exactly that. You know what my takeaway from that was? Why didn't I ask him to hear it, heal it permanently? What an idiot. <laughs> God answered my prayer in that particular case specifically. It was a miracle. There was no way that I could have gotten past kilometer five. Five Ks. There's just no way. But that day, I did. And I got to the end, and the rest again is history. My takeaway from that was, I should have asked God to heal it permanently, which he did do a little later on. What's my point, church? You know, when we're praying, be specific. Be specific. Talk into the issue itself or the, the situation. Just be specific. Well, obviously, church, there is a connection between prayer and, and physical healing. But this next point I want to make, I've been in church life now for 
Gee whiz. 30-something years, I think, as a Christian. Something like that. Maybe 40. 30-something. When it comes to praying for people and healing, this is so important. I've come to realize, though, that prayer for physical healing is not a formula. You know, praise God, we've got doctors as well. You know, God uses them. He uses their hands to do surgery, their mind to figure out and help us to come to a conclusion of what's going on. He uses them as well. Prayer for healing is not a formula. I want to prove that from Scripture. Um, we're looking at John 9, 1 to 3. That's the second um, reference that I gave you earlier. John 9, 1 to 3. And we're also going to read verse 7 of John, uh, of John 9. As the story of, here we are. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. Uh, sorry, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Verse 7. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Now this guy had been blind from birth. Did you hear that part? And according to this, this scripture, that was part of God's master plan for Jesus to do a miracle to restore this man's sight, not for the sake of the miracle. That wasn't the point of it. The point was so that he could authenticate his claim that he was indeed the Son of God. That's why Jesus did miracles. He didn't do miracles for the sake of miracles. He wasn't trying to be a magician. The reason for the miracles was so that he could convince the people that he was genuinely God's son, the Messiah. That was the reason for the miracle. But good luck for this guy. He was going to be the recipient of that miracle. And you can be too. And we can be too. Denise shared last week her miracle. She was the recipient. Let's move on. Here's my question. And it's all around that physical healing, when we pray for physical healing, that is not, this is not some formula that we have been given. Why didn't Jesus simply say to this guy, blindness be gone? Why didn't he just do that? He could have. But instead, he, Jesus made a mud pie and he rubbed it in the man's eyes. Why didn't he just say, be healed? Why go through all of that palaver? Here's the answer, and it's really, really simple. Because healing prayer is not a formula. If this example that Jesus gave was meant to be a formula for healing, do you know what someone would have immediately done with it back then? If they hadn't, we would have done it now. They would take that claim as theirs. They would say, this is mine. They would have franchised it and charged people millions of dollars for the privilege of receiving it. 
That's what human nature would have done. God is smarter than us. It's not a formula. Prayer and healing are connected. They are very connected. But don't be thinking that there is only one type of prayer that works. When we pray for healing, church, and we should pray for healing, the power to heal healing doesn't come from us. It comes from Him. It's Christ in us, working through us. It's not about what we can do, church. It's all about what He can do. Therefore, church, we are to pray on every occasion for every sickness, for every situation. We may see instant results, and other times it may come over time. Our job is to pray, and the outcome, church, is up to God. It really is up. And I love that thought because you know what it says to me? takes all the pressure off me when I'm praying for someone for a physical healing and it doesn't happen immediately or maybe, maybe weeks. That's on God. It's not on me. It's not on you. It's on Him. Our job is to simply be obedient, to allow Him to use us as a vessel for His prayer to work, for our prayer to work with His power. That's our job. Just make yourself available. The second common request for healing, though. So that's physical. The second common request for healing is inner healing. We're talking emotional, relational, and spiritual. In James 5, verses 14 to 18, we're looking at verse 16, the second half of verse 16, and it reads this. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Go up to verse 14. The example in John 9 that I just gave you was Jesus himself praying for the blind man. It was Jesus that prayed for him physically, and the guy, his sight was restored. But here in James, James encourages you and I to pray for healing. Are you with me on this? He's asking you and I to do it. Verse 14 and 15 says this, If any one of you is sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Right. This will be a bit of a stretch for some of you, I think. But stay with me. Stay with me on this. This is so, so important to understand. The application of this verse is often misunderstood. And here's why. The word sick in verse 14, in the original Greek, is a word, if you can remember this, astheneo. It actually means powerless to be without strength. Let me say that again. This Greek word for sick, astheneo, means powerless to be without strength. Then in verse 15, it says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick 
person well, the word sick there in the Greek is the word um, uh, kamno, which means to grow weary. Let me say that again if you're writing notes. In verse 15, the same word sick comes from another root Greek word, um, kamno, K-A-M-N-O, which means to grow weary. Church, listen. James here is not referring to those who are suffering from illness or disease. That's not who he's referring to. He was writing to those who had grown weary, weak, morally and spiritually in the midst of their physical suffering. Now, their suffering may have manifested physically, but not all suffering is physical. We can suffer emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, which often and can do at times manifest physically, but that's not the root cause of the outward symptoms. It's a deeper issue. It's an inner issue. In fact, I'm of the opinion that emotional and relational and spiritual sickness is more challenging to overcome than something physical like a broken bone or a cut or a bruise or the like. At least with those things, you can see what you're dealing with. But you know, church, our inner world, not so easy, is it? Not so easy. He says, call the elders, call them, ask them to come and pray for, pray for you. I want to say something about that. Elders, our elders here, and you go to the elders, do what he says, and you've got a, a physical whatever, and they pray for you and nothing happens, don't blame them. You're off the hook, Robert. Don't blame them. They're not the ones charged with the, the, the physical healing situation. God may give them a revelation about a deeper issue, like I shared with you, the Derek Prince kind of situation, like he may do that. Chances are their job is to help encourage you, your internal world, encourage you emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. That's their job. And if there's something that's out of alignment there in your life and you're honest about it with them, they're going to encourage you to go put it right. That's their job. Remember, it's not the elders that do the healing or you for that matter or me for that matter. We are just conduits. God uses us for his glory. That's why church is so important that we we, we pray for one another. We pray for people who are sick, internally or externally. We absolutely do that. But at the end of the day, it's God that does it. Our job is just to be available, to be used by Him. James here is referring to restoration of our inner world rather than a physical sickness. And so convinced of this was James. By the way, do you know who the Jameses that we're talking about here? This is Jesus' half-brother. He was the son of Mary and Joseph, so he was a half-brother. He was also the bishop of Jerusalem, I think the first bishop of Jerusalem. Prayer was such a big deal to him, this guy James, 
um, that they, they, history tells us that he literally had calluses on his knees and the tops of his feet because of the hours every day he would spend on the hard concrete um, stone floor praying. That's, that's history. He was so convinced that prayer was such a big deal that he mentions the word pray and prayer four times in the space of four verses. I've come to realize over the years, if the Bible tells us something once, it's going to be important. Yeah. If the Bible tells us the same thing twice, obviously God doesn't want us to miss the point. But if he tells us the same thing four times, clearly, church, we can't afford to miss the point. We need to be people that pray. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people in a church that prays for people's healing, um, whether it's physically, relationally, emotionally, or spiritually. We need to be that type of people. We absolutely do. I mean, what is the point of the church? What is the point of unbelievers coming into the church if we don't believe in prayer? What's the point of them coming in? They come in with whatever their situation is, and we're not going to pray for them. We should be praying for them. It's the language of heaven. Are you catching this? This is so important that we are a church of prayer, and even more so than what we are now. You know, I'm convinced that without prayer, there's probably not a lot that God can do. Can I have the music team up, please? And the third point of, this, uh, of, the, of uh, James 5, coming out of James 5, and this is really where the rubber meets the road. Um, that confession is powerful and effective. It says this in James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins, you're going to love this part, to each other. Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Didn't say that you might be healed. That you will be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He was not suggesting here that we confess our sins to the preacher, and I'm really pleased about that, or a priest. That's not what he's suggesting here. He's been very clear. Private sin requires private confession. If there's something going on in your life, and that's private with you, that's between you and God. Take it to Him. Take it to God. Nowhere in the Bible are we asked or commanded in any way to air our dirty washing publicly. You can all breathe a sigh of relief. Because we've all got dirty washing, have we not? We're not asked in that private stuff. You go before God. You work it out with Him. Now, if you're courageous enough to go and share it with somebody who you trust, good for you. And I would encourage you to do that. But we're not commanded to do that. But public sin, something that happens particularly at a relational level, in particular at a relational level. If something that you have done has affected someone else, and, and even during this message, the Holy Spirit brings that into your heart as, and the lights go on for you. 
there's a, there's a sense where the Spirit of God is saying, hey, Paul, this Paul here, you need to go put that right. If that's happening, can I encourage you? Be obedient to that. Do what God's asking you to do. Because it says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What does that mean? The word righteous here does not mean a perfect person. That's not what it means. The word righteous here refers to someone who is doing their best to live their life in right and proper relationship with God and with others. That's what it means. It means that as much as it is up to me, even though I am a sinner, and so are you, but as much as God speaks to you and says, Paul, I want you to go and put that issue right. I've got, one, I've got a choice, one or two things I can do. I can do nothing and stay living in that unrighteous state or I can do something about it and live in the righteous state because I've been obedient to what Christ has said. It's his righteousness, church, not mine in that sense. But my job is to be obedient to that. And according to God's word, according to James, <clears throat> the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know what I think, honesty time with you? I think one of the reasons why we see limited answers to prayer is because we're praying for people. We genuinely want to see them healed and restored. We genuinely do. But we've got stuff in our own life that we're harboring. And God's saying, hang on a minute. Deal with that first. Deal with that first. You see, church, God is wanting to use righteous vessels. Not your righteousness, but Christ's righteousness who is in you. But that also means I've got to be honest about my own life. I've got to be. And you know, church, I want to be. Every time I pray for someone, I do want to see them healed, Steve. If it's a healing thing, I do want to see them healed. You bet. If it's an inner working in their life, I want to see that happen for them as a result of my obedience to pray for them in that situation. But if I'm holding on to stuff that is clearly not right and the Holy Spirit has highlighted that issue in my life, I need to do something about it so that I can be made righteous. Do you get the difference? And that's what James is talking about here. You know, I'm convinced one of the greatest gifts that we can offer another person is to pray for them. And we have this incredible tool that God has put into our hands and it's called prayer. Prayer changes everything. The great theologian Phillips Brooks said this, 
Nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which is outside the will of God. That tells me we can pray for anything and everything. There's nothing that God does not want to do that is within his will. There's nothing that he doesn't want to do. If it's within his will and according to his word, then we can pray for that. Holy Spirit, welcome. Pray with me. Spirit of God, we welcome your presence here now. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth of your word and what you're doing in each and every heart here this morning, including mine. We thank you, Lord, that you are for us and not against us. We know that we have an enemy, Lord, which will try to shut us down and keep us small, limited, and insignificant. But you're the God that wants to build us up, to grow us, to increase us, to expand our lives, to give us more. Not so that we can have more, but so that we can do more. That's the God you are, Lord, and you're here right now with us, Father. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that your Spirit doesn't condemn us but it does bring conviction, not to harm us, but to build us up. It convicts us of those things that are out of alignment with your will and your way. Because you want to bring us to a place where we are free, completely free, set free to do all that you want to do in us and through us. So we welcome your presence, Holy Spirit. And we say, come, Spirit of God, and minister amongst us, Lord, right now. I ask your Holy Spirit to fall upon us in a fresh and a new way. To descend upon us, God, and fill this room in a tangible, manifest way. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence, Lord. We welcome your presence, God. We want to be righteous vessels, Lord. We want to be so full of who you are that people see us walking down the street and say, wow, that person's different. What have you got? I want what you've got. We want to be vessels, Lord, that as much as it is up to us, that we have opened ourselves, Lord, to be cleansed and restored and made beautiful in your eyes. I love that scripture that says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There's something about your Holy Spirit, God, that just gets in. It goes to the deepest part. And that's where you do your best work. Because you love us too much, Lord, to leave us as we are. So welcome, Holy Spirit. <laughs>
Please stand, church.